Psalms 32, 1 through 11. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is not deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquities. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, I let all of my faithful prayers to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the ways you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eyes on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which has no understanding and must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the ones who trust in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad your righteousness. Sing all you are, are who are upright in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be the Lord. Today we're going to be in Psalm 32. If you have a Bible, go ahead and uh, open it up there. And if you don't have a Bible, we can hand you some or you can follow along on your Bible app. And I uh, just want to thank Rachel for reading the scripture for us. Um, it's a little more liturgical, a little more high church than we are normally. But for this series, we're going to start with the reading of God's word. And in some churches, uh, at the end of that, there's a response, which is thanks be to God. And so we're going to kind of learn that together this month. Uh, a couple of things before I jump right in. Um, I just wanted to say uh, we're working on 65 um, meals for Thanksgiving to be donated to people in our community. And this past week, we had a generous donation, and all of the turkeys are taken care of. So if you bought one and you're going to bring it, bring it. We'll find it. But yes, thank you. Let's give them a, some applause. Uh, we still have, we may account for some of you who, who may have already bought some turkeys, but um, we'll find a home for those that are over 65, which is what we did last year. So we're thankful for that. There are other things that you can do to contribute to that. Just go online and find that sign up. Um, also, um, next week, we're going to be doing membership together. Last month, I canceled it. So if you signed up last month, um, I had something that came up with our, one of our girls at college. So um, I will be there this week, next week, uh, unless something else comes up. Um, also, I don't know if you guys caught this or catching this, but Aaron made a track and had it pressed to vinyl and is playing that last song with an actual record. Now, some of you who are younger than I am don't know what a record is. It's okay. We're teaching you, bringing you up to speed. Um, but I just love that um, Aaron and all, actually our whole team and the creativity that they use to try and um, move us closer to God. And so I don't know if you're catching all that. It's kind of hard to tell what's going on, but I just want to brag on him a little bit. Um, how many churches do you go to? They play with vinyl, right? So 
That's what we're doing. As a kid, um, I used to love to visit my grandparents. I grew up in a small town in southern Delaware, and my mother grew up, and my grandparents lived in, here in eastern North Carolina, about an hour and a half north of here, in a little community called Winona. It's not too far from, like, Bellhaven. My mother went to Pantiga High School, if you know that area. And if you do know that area, you know it's uh, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And I, I judge things by where the nearest Walmart is, and... From where my mother grew up, you have to drive to Washington, which is about 45 minutes to the closest Walmart. So it's kind of out there. And if you're there, you're either trying to be there or you're really lost. You know, like it's one of those places. But it was a great place to visit because I grew up in town. I, I lived on the main street of the little town that I grew up in. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a bustling city. It wasn't urban, but it was a small town. And we lived right in town. We had neighbors on each side. And, um, you know, the, the main drag of, of my hometown went right by in front of our house. And so it was very different than where I lived, uh, getting to go to the farm. And so every summer we would go, my sister and I would go and stay for a week or two. And at times like Thanksgiving and Christmas and Sometimes Easter we would go and, and see um, my grandparents. And one of the games we loved to play on the farm was hide-and-seek, right? So the cool thing about hide-and-seek is you can play that anywhere, whether you're in urban or small town or on the farm. But because it was so different from where we used to play it at my church with my friends at church growing up or in my neighborhood, playing it on a farm was super cool, right? It's just very different. I have such a great memory of my cousins and I playing in the summer on the farm, and usually we would wait until dark to play hide-and-seek. But it was also, I didn't really admit this at the time, it was also a little scary. Like, playing hide-and-seek on a farm, uh, it's very different after dark, right? The, the pump house that uh, was this little shed at the back of my grandparents' yard turned into something from a horror movie after dark, you know? It was like super scary. And my grandfather's barn, my granddaddy's barn, after dark would bring shivers. Like you're hiding in there, but you're like ready to be found, right? I never admit it at the time, but I was a little afraid in some of those hiding places. I would go to one of those places, and if I'm being truthful, I was glad when somebody found me, right? Here's the truth. Some of us have been hiding for years, and we're just waiting to be found. Last week, we took a swing at answering uh, one of life's big, big questions. Where does happiness come from? And we looked at Psalm 1. Happiness, we decided, comes from learning to delight and live in God's ways, living according to his will instead of our will, like instead of walking in the counsel of the wicked or standing in the way of the, the evil ones, or sitting in the presence of mockers, the psalmist says, we learn to delight. Happiness comes from delighting in God's ways and his will and living by his will. Today in Psalm 32, some of you might have been thinking as we, we're going to consider the question, where is God when I sin? If you're a Bible uh, student of the Bible, you may be thinking, oh, Psalm 51. And yes, Psalm 51 is a great psalm, but 32 is a companion psalm to 51, both written by David, both deal with the issue of sin in David's life. Now, we know Psalm 51 was related to David's sin with Bathsheba, and most likely Psalm 32 was written in contemplation of the same sin. The question that we want to answer today is simply this. Where is God when I sin? Sin can be defined as missing the mark that God has set before us. Now, I want to get one thing straight before we start. Let's all agree to this one immutable fact before we jump in. 
we all sin. Okay? There's not one person here today that has not sinned, and there's not one person that is probably going to sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We serve and love a holy God, and God's holiness is, in its essence, God's lack of sin, right? He is holy, and he does not sin, and so, therefore, we serve a God, and we love a God that is morally pure. So today is not about pointing our fingers at those who sin, like that's somebody else in the room or in our lives, uh, like we're better than someone else. Today should be contemplative for each one of us. No elbows for the person next to you. No side eye or thinking about someone else today. Is that fair? Today is for each one of us as individuals. We all sin. My sin is not less bad than your sin. We're on level playing field. Let me illustrate it this way. I see people walking around our neighborhood all the time, walking their dogs. And some have big dogs. Some have tiny little yippy dogs. Some have designer dogs, you know, some kind of doodle, you know. (laughs) But these dog owners all have one thing in common. Everybody in my neighborhood has this one thing in common. They're all carrying a plastic bag. <laughs> Doesn't matter what kind of plastic or what kind of dogs they have. We all, they all are carrying this little plastic bag. You know what I'm talking about, right? Inside those bags is a level playing field. <laughs> Nothing desirable for anybody. See, we all miss the mark. We all fall short. We're all carrying something. If you're here today and maybe church isn't your thing, really glad you're here. You might be thinking, oh, here we go. He's going to get up there and tell me how bad I am, how full of sin I am. Nope. I'm here to tell you that I'm full of sin and that everybody in this room struggles with sin. We're not here to point the finger at anyone. Today is about admitting where we personally have missed the mark that God has set for us. Psalm 32 starts in a similar way to Psalm 1. David writes, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. We learned last week that that word blessed or blessed means happy, or how happy is someone whose sin is forgiven. There's nothing more true than that. right? When we recognize that our sins can be forgiven, that we can be released from the guilt and shame and consequence of our own sin, then it should make us happy. Walter Zorn wrote, Sin is devilish, deceitful, debasing, dehumanizing. Sin is destructive with the power of atomic proportions. In an instant, it can bring devastation to one's life. The NIV uses the word transgressions to describe sin. That word comes from the Hebrew word uh, pesha, and it means a revolt. A rebellion, uh, sin, or transgression, or trespass, right? It's this idea that, that we have crossed the line, right? Now, when we think of a revolt or a rebellion, like in American history, we think of that as kind of a good thing, like the Boston Tea Party. We're sick of taxation without representation. We're not going to stand for it anymore. And eventually it led to uh, the American Revolution, right? When there's an injustice, sometimes it takes a rebellion, to get the attention of the greater national consciousness. 
But here, as David writes this psalm, this idea of a transgression or rebellion means that we're on the wrong side of morality. A transgression is a rebellion against God himself, his disobedience, unfaithfulness, and it involves breaking of a relationship with our holy God. And it separates us from God. David is saying, happy is the one whose transgression, whose rebellion has been forgiven, which implies that there's this mending of relationship between someone and God. And, and that's, really what, that's really what it's about, to be here today and to find that in Christ. There's another word used several times in this psalm. It's the Hebrew word kashal. It's, it's, when, the, it's when the text says cover or covered. And it can be used in two different ways in this text, or it is used. Here in verse 1, it means that we're covered in respect of sin, covered by God, which he thus puts it out of sight. And then verse 2 explains, blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit, in whose spirit there is no deceit. So God has covered, or Kashal, right? Put out of sight the sin or transgression. And again, that makes the psalmist happy. Now, if you're picking up on something, it's that David understood and recognized his own sin, right? He was at a place in his life, probably several times in his life, where he cried out to God and he looked for forgiveness and he found happiness knowing that God answered those prayers. Forgiveness means that even though we've done something that is rebellion, and it's broken our relationship with God. He doesn't count that against us, right? Then David introduces a very human condition or feeling. Happy is the one whose sin is covered and is not counted against them, in whose spirit there is no deceit, right? There's no reason to hide because in our spirits we know that there is forgiveness, that God has covered our sin, See, when we, when we live with sin, whether it's known or unknown, we are in a state of discord, not only with God, but honestly in ourselves. There's a conflict in each of us. There's this disagreement between us and God, and there's a disagreement even in ourselves. Have you ever held on to a sin? <clears throat> you, ever, you ever just kind of try to act like it wasn't there or tried to cover it up yourself or lived your life as though nothing was going on. You know what I found in my life when I kind of keep going down that path? It just simply eats me up. I remember as a kid disobeying my parents and living in that state of guilt, knowing that I had done something wrong, whether they knew it or not, I knew it. And because I was brought up in a church and um, was taught from very early about hell, you know, those, that kind of church. I, I lived in this place of discord, right? And it's a bad place to be, just waiting to be found out, to be discovered. Listen to what David says about that place. Verse 3 says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. We had a pretty hot summer, hot and humid summer here in eastern North Carolina. And there were days, I'm sure, if, if you were outside or maybe you work outside, maybe you're on a roof or building decks or whatever it is, or maybe you're working in the yard, and it was so hot, oppressively hot and humid that uh, at the end of the day, you're just sapped, right? And David's saying that's, that's kind of what it's like when you live with sin. 
When we hold on to sin, it will bring us burden. Listen to the imagery David uses. My bones wasted away. My groaning lasted all day. It was as if your hand was laying on me and it was heavy. My strength was gone, like being out in the heat all summer. David may have never known the forgiveness of God if he had not come before the Lord without deceit. Like, just come clean. Just revealed himself to God. Look at verse 5. He says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Here's that word again, cover. Kasal, I acknowledged my sin too and did not cover up my iniquity. This time it has a sense that he covered or tried to hide his sin out of shame. Look at verse 6. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. David says, with with all this in mind, the, the, the idea that I can have forgiveness of sins, that I can come clean with God. I don't have to cover that up. With that in mind, let the faithful pray that they may be found. Before the waves of despair overtake you, let it be known to God. Verse 7 says, you, you're my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. See, I think we get so caught up in trying to maybe convince ourselves that we don't make mistakes or that we've missed the mark. We get so caught up in trying to hide our uh, own sin. We get caught up in trying to cover up things. We forget that we can turn it all over to God and find in him a safe place. You are my hiding place, a place of protection from trouble where there are beautiful songs of deliverance. What a poet David is, right? We hide with our sin in those scary, dark places, and instead of uncovering those things before a God and allowing him to deliver us, we, we stay in those hidden spots. It's like playing hide-and-seek on my granddaddy's farm. We think if we hide with our sin or hide our sin, then maybe God won't notice. But instead, we get lost in this scary place, stuck with our sin. I used to love to play hide-and-seek with our girls when they were toddlers. They, they would hide, and I would walk around the house calling their names. I knew where they were, right? I'd act like I couldn't find them, but eventually they would come out from hiding and reveal themselves to me. It's the same idea with God. He knows where we're hiding. He knows what we're hiding. He knows the past in our lives and the things that We're trying to cover up. He just wants us to reveal ourselves to him. So here's the question. Where is God when I sin? He is waiting. There's a great story Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. A young man goes to to his father and asks for his inheritance. The young man looks around, and instead of working with his father and making the family business better, he goes to his father and asks for his inheritance even before his father has died. Basically, what he's saying is, I wish you would drop dead, Dad. 
So the father gives him his portion, and the young, impetuous son goes off, and the Bible says he squanders it. He loses it in riotous living. And everything's kind of fun, and he has all these friends, and he's paying for everything, and he's living the high life until hard times come to this land. And pretty quickly, the son finds his friends gone, his so-called friends, his money gone, and he's destitute. He attaches himself. He's not really hired. He just attaches himself to a local farmer and eventually lives and eats with the farmer's pigs. One day in this muck and mire, he realizes that his father's servants are living better than this, and he swallows his pride, and he decides to go home. And in Luke chapter 15, there's this beautiful picture. Jesus says, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. So they began to celebrate. Here's the part I love about this story. It's the story we call the prodigal son. It says that he went to his father, and while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. Like the father was just looking. The father was, had his eyes on the horizon, probably every day, hoping, waiting for his son to return. And he was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to him, and he threw his arms around him. So where is God when we sin? He is waiting. See, I think sometimes we get the idea that God is waiting not to throw his arms around us and kiss our cheek, but to destroy us. Like he's up in heaven with lightning bolts ready to throw them down on whenever we make a mistake. I don't know where we get that, Bugs Bunny or something, I don't know. But that's not what I see in this scripture. He's waiting like a good father, waiting to welcome us home. And I think verse 5 is the key to this whole passage, this whole psalm. It says, David says, I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So where is God when I sin? He is waiting to forgive. Let me give you four quick things from this passage. I'm not going to go into this. I'm just going to give you a small little outline of how to come out of hiding. First of all, David says he acknowledged his sin. We, we have to admit that we've been hiding. But we've got to see ourselves for what we are. We've got to admit that in the deepest, darkest parts of our hearts, there's something that we're holding back from God. It's, there's some unnoticed, uncovered sin, and we have to acknowledge that. The second thing is, David says he revealed his sin to God. Like, I did not cover it up 
anymore. To me, that's a picture of repentance. I'm over here hiding from God and thinking that he doesn't know where I am and what I'm hiding. And to reveal that to God is to turn to him, to repent and turn to God and just be transparent. David says then that he confessed his rebellion to God. I will confess my transgressions. Remember we talked about that idea that transgression is a rebellion. So we will tell God, admit to God, confess where we have wronged him, where we have rebelled. And number four is we can then receive forgiveness. Now we can trust that God is a safe place for us. Psalm 51, this companion psalm, is a great psalm to pray when you're ready to reveal yourself to God. David writes, have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions and wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Have mercy on me. Not only will God forgive, but he will also be our instructor and helper. He's not just going to say, okay, good, try not to do it again, right? Verse 8 says, I will instruct you, teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. God is there not to condemn, not to um, throw lightning bolts and hellfire and brimstone on us. He's there waiting to forgive. He is willing to instruct us. We just have to simply come out of hiding. I don't remember all the rules that we had playing hide-and-seek as kids, but I do remember that at a certain point, someone had been found, or maybe it was down to the last person or a couple people, and whoever was it would go out and simply say, come out, come out, wherever you are. You remember that? To me, that's the call of Psalm 32. We think that we can stay hidden. If we, if we stay hidden, we can avoid the shame and guilt of sin. But that's a scary place to hide, where our bones crumble, where our guilt will overtake us. Instead, our good Father calls out for us, come out, come out. Wherever you are, he is our hiding place. We can, as we just sang, lean back into the loving arms of our Father. I want to leave with this, and I want this to sit on us today and this week. Psalm 32, verse 7 simply says, You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for today. I thank you for your word. What a beautiful message that we have here in this psalm, this song that David wrote in his contemplation of the places that he had been and the things that he had done and the transgressions and rebellion that he had lived through in his life. Lord, what I see is someone 
who's not blaming someone else, who's not um, trying to take care of it all, all by himself, who's ready to simply come out of hiding by acknowledging sin, revealing and repenting before God, confessing that sin. Lord, we know that in your arms, as a loving father, there's forgiveness. God, I don't know who here is living with a broken heart and broken spirit. I don't know who here is hiding the sin that they've had in their lives, maybe thinking that they can just live with it or they don't want anyone to know or they're ashamed or maybe, God, you won't see it. But, Lord, we know that like a father playing hide-and-seek with a toddler, you know where we are. And you know the sin that's before us and behind us. So, God, I just pray that each person here would trust you enough to heed the call to come out, come out, wherever they may be hiding, to give our sin to you, Lord. Let you be our refuge. Let you be that hiding, safe place. Like a loving father. We pray this in Jesus' name.